Uh, let me pray. Lord, uh, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing to you, O Lord. It's the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So my name is Herb Bailey, and I am a Church Army USA officer, and I serve as the National Director of Ministry under our Executive Director, uh, Reverend Greg Miller. My current assignment is to help plant centers of ministry um, by invitation uh, across the nation. I'm a transitional uh, deacon in the Diocese of Pittsburgh. Uh, I'm the husband of one wife, Angel, uh, father to three biological daughters and one, uh, and one 31-year-old we're about to adopt. Uh, Angel, not, Angel and I have fostered over 20 children. We've ministered uh, in various ways inside the church and outside the church, uh, but always with the same emphasis as agents of reconciliation, pleading, pleading with people to come be reconciled. God. We've done that through the arts, through dignity building activities, uh, and through companioning the marginalized. Uh, my most important identity is child of God. Yeah? So all of that other stuff pales in comparison to being a child of God. Uh, and that's because of the work uh, of Jesus on the cross, uh, out of the grave and his ascension. The Holy Spirit gives me breath, and I choose that breath to glorify our Heavenly Father. That was the introduction. Whew. <laughs> All right, speaking of breath, I am enraptured by the radical hospitality of Jesus. This radical hospitality that Jesus shows is while he was gasping for breath on the cross, being suffocated by his own organs, he's surrounded by Thieves, right? One on his left and one on his right. One is mocking him and the other one is convicted. Jesus, with one of his last breaths, extends radical hospitality to the thief on the cross beside him. In the midst of his suffering, Jesus is inviting someone else in. Yeah? That's radical hospitality. I, I love this idea of, of how Jesus invites others to see the scars from his suffering. In Jesus' conversation with Thomas, doubting Thomas, we call him, which I thought was really interesting because he's the only one who gets the moniker doubting. <laughs> right? I mean, all of his disciples left. We don't call doubting Peter. Why don't we call him doubting Peter? <laughs> I mean, we have an entire narrative of Peter going, I don't know who you are, <laughs> right? But we don't call him doubting anyway. <laughs> I just thought that was really rude that he's the one that we call doubting Thomas, no one else. Anyway, sorry, sorry. So Thomas, doubting Thomas, is speaking this truth through his doubt, right? He's expressing his doubt. And the other disciples are like, yeah, we probably agree with you if we hadn't seen Jesus ourselves. And then eight days later, Jesus shows up. What I love is in, the, in this passage, uh, this, in this passage, John uh, writes, he doesn't mention how odd it is that Jesus shows up with the doors being closed. Like they're locked and Jesus shows up with his scars. He begins to address the doubt 
of Thomas. And Jesus addresses this doubt in only, uh, the only way that Jesus can ad- address it in person, right? He says, let me see your hand. your hand in this place here. This place here I suffered for you. Put your hand in my side. I was broken and bruised for you. Thomas exclaims, my Lord and my God, basically says, I believe you. It's when we get up close and personal with someone else's pain that we can explain, exclaim we believe. It's something to be at a distance and hear about pain that someone experiences, but when we're up close and personal, we can feel it, when we can empathize, not just sympathize. That pain becomes real. That suffering becomes real. Jesus, who sympathizes with our pain, he's acquainted with sorrow. And at the beginning of his ministry, he picks up the Isaiah scroll and finds this place and begins to read. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering sight, recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus started out by announcing where his strength comes from. That's how he addressed. He he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He didn't say, I'm doing this in my own strength. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. That's how he started the conversation. Then he goes on to talk about who's the recipient, why he has his power. This is what I'm supposed to do with this power that I have. Who is he going to love? Yeah? Our our mission at Church Army uh, is to reach the, it's to train evangelists to reach the least, the last, and the lost with the gospel of Christ and to bring them into the life and ministry of the church. This good news or this gospel of Christ that Jesus himself preached, was lived out among the people, demonstrated in his presence. He was actively engaged with people, and he demonstrated the good news. It wasn't just didactic. It wasn't just words. This was demonstration and power because the Holy the Spirit of the Lord was upon him to do the work. He demonstrated it by denying himself, right? We remember, we recall when he's in the garden and he says, uh, Dad, if I can do, if, we, if there's a plan B, right, or a plan C, like we can go through the alphabet, God, if there's another way to do this, I'll choose that readily. Like this is Jesus, this is Jesus saying this. If there's another option, I'll take that. But he concludes it by saying, nevertheless, not my will, 
but your will be done. So Jesus himself demonstrates what denying himself looks like. So this good news that Jesus proclaims, what does it mean to the poor? I would say it's not a rhetorical question, but that's not the, the space, and so you just sit with that. <laughs> I'll ask you another question. Are you lacking anything this morning? Are you experiencing total freedom from oppression? Do you have pain yourself? Do you have your own scars? See, if we, we hide our scars and if we hide our pain, we pretend like it isn't there, we aren't making room for the good news. We aren't making room for the Holy Spirit to do a work in us. We're not making room for other people who are empowered by the Holy Spirit to speak into our lives. If we don't know our need of the good news, then what need do we have of Jesus? I've been processing this thought within my time with Church Army USA. That comfort isn't the same as safety. Yeah? Think about that for a second. Yeah? Comfort and safety are not synonymous with each other. I'm going to ask you a question now. You can just nod. Do you believe that your names are written in heaven? Some of you, yes? If you don't know, you can know before today is over with. I just wanted to give that to you as a preemptive. So if you didn't nod, it's okay. We can work that out. If you do know your name is written in heaven, if it's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, then you're safe. Eternally safe. Yeah? We have safety in this world because we're anchored in eternity. Yeah? Got an amen. That was good. I, I guess. All right. Okay. All right. I'm getting started now. Here's the thing. Like, if we're anchored in eternity, then we can be uncomfortable temporarily. Does that make sense? Like, if I know that, how many people, okay, there's a weird question. How many people have uh, had, had gotten a tattoo? Can I, anybody here have a tattoo? Okay, a few of you have had. Okay. Oh, did you know this? Many people had tattoos in your congregation? Okay, okay. Well, you know the pain of a tattoo is, is temporary, right? You can be uncomfortable because you know at some point it's going to be over. Or like exercise. Ugh. Right, you can exercise and you know that at some point it's going to be okay. Like you can be uncomfortable for a little while because you have something that your hope is in. Right, you have hope that is outside of the discomfort. Does that make sense? All right. 
if we want to make some omelets, we got to break some eggs. All right, see, I knew, I thought, I thought you guys knew. <laughs> At one of the centers of ministry for Church Army USA, we experience the discomfort of other people's pain. We're not conflict averse. We walk into, we recognize that we are called to be peacemakers, not peacekeepers. Yeah? So we walk into uncomfortable situations. I've got a young man who, um, who was a representative. I'll tell you two stories. One, there's a young man who's a representative, uh, a U.S. representative, and uh, he was a driven individual. He was a work, work, work individual, needed to get the job done, so much so that he lost his marriage. Yeah? He came to us. Broken, successful financially, but broken emotionally. And he came and began to volunteer, yeah? And his church began to volunteer. And he had, for the first time in his life, he began to understand what it means to follow Jesus. He had gone to church as a kid. He'd experienced all the things he'd done, all the right stuff. I think he was even an altar boy, right? But for the first time, he was with people who were willing to sit with him in his pain. They were willing to be uncomfortable with him while he was being uncomfortable. He had to process through some stuff that he wasn't sure people were going to want to hear. He now leads the mission group for this church. Another story of a friend who's a brilliant fella. Brilliant. He's a bright young man. He has a phenomenal grasp of the English language. Uh, and his wit is something to be in awe of, like he's quick. He's quick. You know people like that? You get like, I'm going to go home and think about that, and then I'll have a conversation with you <laughs> in my head. I should have said that. He's one of those guys. You're like... I don't know what to say to you because that was, I'm just going to go sit down. <laughs> the problem is he struggles with an addiction to cocaine. And I watch him. I walk with him. I've, I've eaten with him. I've, I've drank. I've broken bread with him. I've had coffee with him. And I've listened to his pain. I know that his father wasn't there when he was a kid. His brother abused him. Yeah. I've taken him to rehab facilities. I've taken him to the hospital to check himself into the mental ward. At one point, he was walking. He had been on a bender and knocked on our door at 5 o'clock in the morning. And I have boundaries. And so I, he didn't come in my house. We sat on the front porch. And he was hungry, so, I mean, he hadn't eaten in two weeks. Got him some food, and my wife made him a sandwich. And we sat on the front porch, and I, I just began to listen to him. And he told me that he wanted to be done. He said, I want to be done. And he said he heard a voice, an audible voice say, we're not done yet. And it wasn't his voice. So you talk about being oppressed. Yeah. And so I drove with him 11 hours to get him into a treatment facility. He 
he got out and he's ashamed and he's sitting on the couch and we're doing a Bible study. We have a Bible study in the cafe. It's, uh, I really love our Bible study. It's uh, an interactive uh, Bible study, and, but he's sitting on the couch away from us. And um, I'm talking about how God's a gentleman. Yeah. And there's this analogy that I heard uh, and that God is, is like giving us a refrigerator full of food and he sets it in front of us and he gives us the option to eat. Yeah. All we need to do is open the door and, and eat. And, and if we starve to death, it's not God's fault. Right? It's our own. Because there's a food. All you take and eat. Got done with the Bible study and he left. And I saw him about three hours later and I'm asking him how it's going. And he says, I need to get out of the city. I know what my triggers are. I need to leave the city. The city's not healthy for me. He said, uh, he said, I just need to open the door. And I was like, what do you mean open the door? He said, I need to open the refrigerator door. And he was listening the entire time, and I had no idea. Yeah. It's uncomfortable to see someone to continue to use drugs. But because we've been trained... We can wade in. Because we remember that our names are written in heaven, we can wade in. And because these are the same people that Jesus loves, we can wade in. Church Army has been around since 1882, quietly representing the Lord among the least, the last, and the lost. And now we're in over 20 different countries. And we have this in common. We have beautiful feet. Our feet is seen as beautiful because we are sharing the good news of Jesus in demonstrations of the power of the Holy Spirit. It's more than a job. It's an answer to the call of Jesus to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to give drink to those who are thirsty, to welcome in the stranger, to visit those who are sick and in prison. We've been invited into a sacred place, a place where scars are revealed, pains are healed, and Jesus is glorified. My invitation to you is come glorify the Lord with me. Come worship the Lord with gladness. Come and sing to the Lord a new song. Join all creation in, in ascribing glory to our God. Join me in giving honor and glory where honor and glory are due. Amen.